Hey, everybody. This is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome back to the Device Talks weekly podcast. We're going to focus on diabetes this week. Our first guest will be Matt Clementi. He is Senior Vice President of Product Development and Delivery at Bigfoot Biomedical. We'll hear about how Bigfoot is helping people with type 2 diabetes. And then a little later in the podcast, we'll play our interview from this week's Medtronic Talks. I spoke with Krista Sugarman. She's Vice President of Global Marketing Communications at Medtronic's Diabetes Business. And we'll discuss how Medtronic is working to uh, really individualize patient care and uh, really working to understand how diabetes impacts people. Before we begin this episode, I want to remind you that uh, we will have we have two more Device Talks Tuesdays coming up. They're actually coming in the same week. So we don't have a Device Talks Tuesday coming up on December 6th, but you can finish out your year with two great discussions. On December 13th, our friends at APP or Advanced Powder Products will talk about how binder jet 3D metal printing can help you innovate faster and meet critical deadlines. And then on that Thursday, the good folks at PSN Labs will put on a presentation called The Changing Regulatory Landscape for Medical Devices, Engineering Devices to Meet Biocompatibility Requirements. So you can register for both Device Talks Tuesdays on devicetalks.com. Registration is free. You can watch it live. You can watch it on demand. So there really is no risk. Just register, learn a lot, and be a better medtecher in 2023. Finally, don't forget, I'm working on the agenda for Device Talks Boston. That is happening May 10th and 11th. Registration will open next month. And uh, we're also putting out a request for proposals. If you want to uh, present some interesting findings of yours at Device Talks Boston, keep an eye out for a news release, and I'll have some more information for you next week as to how you can submit your presentation to present at Device Talks Boston. Now let's get this podcast started. All right, you ready for this? Ready. Chris Newmarker, how are you, sir? Doing well, man. Doing well. Gosh, can't believe it's this. It's December. It's December. I can't. It's here. We'll probably have uh, maybe three more episodes of Device Talks Week, including this one. Wow. Uh, let's see. So December today is the. F- we're recording this on the first, so yes. we'll put one out on the second, the ninth, the sixteenth, and uh, probably the twenty third. I think we could put one out on the twenty third. Little twenty third. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, and then we'll take uh, we'll take the week off in between the holidays, like like most people do so but we've got some great ones coming up we'll focus this episode on uh on diabetes we'll hear from bigfoot medical and medtronic we've run an excerpt from fantastic from this week's medtronic talks podcast so uh last month was uh diabetes awareness month november so we're a couple of days late with a diabetes oriented podcast but uh i hope people forgive us absolutely we're bringing some some solid content but before we get into our interviews and of course the uh the vaunted new markers newsmakers Yes. Uh, I want to uh, introduce a new feature here on the podcast, Chris. What? What do you got? Listener mailbag. We've got a listener mailbag. Oh, my gosh. Dude. It's, a, it's a small bag, but it's a bag. People like mailbags, bag. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I got a letter opener there. Got a letter opener to get it a open. A virtual letter opener, yes, because it was actually a LinkedIn message. It wasn't even a, a letter. Uh, and uh, actually, they'll, they'll throw something else, too. We met uh, met with uh, one of our uh, loyal listeners, Catherine. Talked to her this week. She's uh, talking about having her uh, 
her company be part of uh, Device Talks in 2023. Fantastic. So, Catherine, hello. Chris, say hello to Catherine. Hey, Catherine. <laughs> Fantastic. Great. It'd be awesome to have you over. Like, this, it'll be great. <laughs> That's right. Device Talks Boston is fantastic. Have a great time. So uh, our friends at Stryker, we got a message from uh, Tommy Van Galder. He is the vice president and general manager at Stryker. And do you know where he works, Chris? Take a guess. Boy, um, Kalamazoo. That would be a great guess, but he's actually in Flower Mount, Texas. Oh, man, no way. Of the future, yes, that's that, right. That story has gotten a ton of attention on a mass device. That's right. It was uh, it was our number one uh, newsmaker of that week. Yeah. And, uh, he uh, he heard the podcast and says that, uh, and we both expressed the desire to go visit Flower Mound and the facility. And he said, "Come on down." He said, "We should come for a visit." Fantastic. Flower Mound is five minutes from Dallas, Fort Worth. Oh, there we go. And. He said, we have some killer breakfast burritos made right here every morning in our cafe. Even better. That is awesome. Yeah, that's, that's right. great. Yeah. So we'll see if we can uh, trick our superiors into getting us down to uh, Flower Mound, Texas, and check out the uh, the OR of the future. I'm actually yeah. would be, be very excited to see that and uh, uh, love to see what their vision. I, we're, we're actually will have Stryker uh, represented at Device Talks Boston. Uh, I won't announce the speaker yet, but uh, we'll be talking about just that thing at Device Talks Boston. So it's awesome. So we're headed to Texas. Headed to Texas. Great. Chris going to get us some breakfast burritos. Good place. It'll be awesome. Oh. It'll be awesome. So, uh, folks, listen to this, New Markers Newsmakers. If we, uh, if we, if you want to bribe us with food or uh, or trips to places, please do feel free to reach out. And uh, who knows, you might get mentioned right here on this podcast. I still recall you're a big fan of apple cider donuts, right? I I am. Yes, oh, yeah. I am. Yep. Have you ever made them yourself? I mean, I do have, you have a I, do you have a donut pan? No, I don't see a reason no. to. I don't. I don't fix my own car, Chris. I don't. I don't make my own donuts. <laughs> There's people who know what they're doing in that regard, and I let them do it for me. It's great. I, I did a little of my own car fixing when I was young. I don't. I don't do it now. But, you, know, <laughs> no, you built washing machines though, Chris, or dryers? Were dryers True. or washing machines? Dryers. It was dryers. dryers. Yeah, yeah, dryers. Yeah. So I mean, you're yeah. a, you're a, you're a handy man. There you go. So you know. <laughs> Back in the day, I changed my own oil and uh, on a Datsun 380 DS. <laughs> I, I tried that once. 1980. On my, my 84 Ford Escort, and I was underneath, and I turned the uh, filter. Oh, and, uh, who knew that oil would pour out all over my chest? I mean, wow, yeah. that must have been fun. That was the first and last time I ever changed my own oil. Yeah. Almost, I can pay someone twenty dollars to do this, and now I've cost me a shirt. So I figured it was a wash. I, I learned the hard way that you know you can actually get a special wrench to take the filter off. You know, yeah. you don't need to need to struggle <laughs> with your your car jacked up above you. Once again, it's like you know I'm going to get the special wrench and I'm going to put it somewhere and I can't find it. I'm going to spend an hour looking for the wrench and like I could just I could just be sitting in my car listening to a podcast while That's someone right. else changes my oil. But anyway, I, Flower Mound sounds awesome. Like, yes, sounds Flower Mound sounds great. Burritos sound yes. great. We don't need to shift into donut mode. We're in December yes. now. And I think a, a burrito uh, in the coldest days of February in Dallas uh, in, in Flower Mound, Texas would be fantastic. Sounds like a plan. Thank you, uh, Tommy Van Galder, for reaching out. That's awesome. And uh, we'll see what happens. And yeah, we'll do it. We'll- I guess if one of the other editors wants to give it a check, check out the place, then we, they could go. We'll see what see what we do. It sounds like a fun, fun invitation. No, this is our trip. No, this is our trip. Let them get their own podcast. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Kristen Parker. That's great. Well, let's 
I know you've got a, a busy day. Yes. Uh, you were up late last night covering the latest from Elon. Well, I don't want to say. I don't want to spoil the new Marcus Newsmakers. So let's just roll into new Marcus Newsmakers. Yeah, I, I checked out uh, some of his uh, live presentation uh, last night. Um, you know, Elon Musk has his brain computer interface venture, uh, Neuralink. And uh, this was their uh, show and tell, which was originally supposed to be on Halloween. But, you know, they got so he got some uh, guff on uh social media you know i wonder if he could stop that now that he owns twitter but, but anyway they're saying like yeah he, he delayed this a bit and they finally did this uh, show and tell um they, they showed an 18 month old video of a you know monkey playing pong with his mind you know and then they later showed a, a monkey type they trained the monkey to you know type with its mind that you know welcome to the uh to show and tell uh so that, that was exciting oh, really? uh, yeah, yeah they taught a monkey how to how to spell out <laughs> letters on the screen <laughs> you know and uh i have a know, scene they, from the simpsons where they had the room full of monkeys typing and one of the monkeys came up with the best of times is the worst of times and mr burns was not <laughs> pleased with that <laughs> anyway he, he fired let's, the monkey <laughs> <laughs> let's focus on uh let's focus on this so now the, the your headline is that they're planning to imp, uh, implant this into a person with the next uh, sometime over the next six months that's what they're they're hoping to do. That was the big the big news out of it, um, you know, and that they sound optimistic about their uh, work with FDA to get an eventual approval for this uh, N1 implant, which is you know thin, coin sized, rechargeable remotely. You know, it looked like they were these electrode laced threads that went in the brain. They've got a robot, the R1, that's you know supposed to get these you know all this into uh, the brain while avoiding the uh, vasculature. Musk was saying that, you know, it was very important for the, for the implant to be thinner than the skull so that, you know, you wouldn't notice that someone had it. And then he like jokingly teased with the audience that maybe he had one inside of his brain right now. Um, <laughs> you know, so, I mean, that was, I mean, you know, they, you know, you know, talking about, you know, how this could, you know, you know, help treat blindness, how this could, you know, help, you know, people who had, you know, spinal cord injuries. I mean, the one thing though, is that, I mean, okay, so they've got, you know, Synchron that has this, uh, really um elegant idea of putting one of these bci implants you know through the vasculature like like through some like catheter delivery type system um i mean they did they did their first in person they announced their first in person implant over the summer and then you got mm -hmm. something like a company like blackrock neurotech that's been in this space for for a long time at this point i mean they recently unveiled the next gen bci that's like as thin as a piece of lace. it looks like a piece of lace it's thinner than an eyelash and you know musk himself was like saying this show and tell was like to recruit talent i mean his co-founder left in 2021 i mean max hodak and he's got his own company science and they've got this uh science eye brain computer platform that you know you know doesn't require an install implant I and mean, they think this could help you know with site restoration for uh, for people so so it was like okay the show and tell they've got an implant i mean but i, I think um yeah i think it'll be it'll be interesting to see how innovative it is because there seems yeah. to be a lot, of, a lot of companies doing stuff i mean, I mean I think it's, it's good to have a lot of companies approaching it totally. different ways to get as many shots on net uh, and it's actually good to see Elon Musk working on something like this yeah. as opposed to protecting our freedom of speech by doing whatever he's doing to, to Twitter. Yes. Um, it's a, it seems to be a bit of a distraction. So here's hoping that uh, we get back to, to stuff like putting people I on Mars. Well, Matt Clementi, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me today, Tom. Really appreciate you giving us the time. Uh, before we get into what Bigfoot's working on, and, and I'd love to understand uh, your path to the company and in your path into medtech, what was the what was it that drew you to the medtech industry? 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. At some point, I feel we're, we're somewhat all the sum of our experiences. Um, so as a son of a mechanic and uh, of an artist and someone who always has had a really passion around biological systems, um, it, it's what originally got me into biomedical engineering and really into the med tech industry uh, was more uh, some of my personal family ties, hmm. um, specifically within diabetes, watching uh, my grandmother, uh, Rita Clementi, um, really uh, someone who uh, had no more than a high school education, uh, really suffer with hypoglycemic events and struggling with the care uh, throughout a lot of the late stages of her life. Uh, it was really something that I, uh, a new technology could bring unique solutions to to really uh, ease the burden on on patients like my grandmother. So, what was your first uh, your first job in the med tech industry? Uh, so, I actually uh, started right out of school um, right. Uh, at Animus Corporation uh, with Johnson and Johnson, working in insulin pumps, getting to the initial connectivity between pumps and meters for remote control. And then actually working uh, on the first sensor augmented integration with Dexcom. So for me, right out of school, uh, while I had some uh, work with them uh, throughout school and drug eluting stents, um, uh, diabetes was was really uh, my start in space. Hmm. So was that was that intentional? Uh, you, you mentioned your personal connection, and you're right. Sometimes things are things happen that later you think might have been intentional, but they weren't actually intentional at the time. Uh, yeah. So I was uh, I was actually part of a rotational program with Johnson Johnson. Uh, where you, it was somewhat an NFL draft uh, where uh, <laughs> you got into the program, but then your location, it was a global program, your location, your role. Um, but for me, I always knew uh, uh, that I wanted to be in research and development, that I wanted to be in medical devices, um, and that I wanted to be in diabetes. Um, so those were the preferences I kind of gave in that order. And the fourth preference I gave was I wanted to be in California because growing up in Southern Florida, uh, the only place cooler to me in the U.S. was California. Um, so I got all of those with the last and I went to a really kind of a, a almost a hometown of mine in Westchester, Pennsylvania, uh, where uh, Johnson Johnson had just acquired um, a small pump company, Animus, um, sure. and got to work with a really talented team there that was already starting to look at the space in, in a very different way. So you really you've uh, you're profession professionally you've sort of grown up uh, alongside the the diabetes industry. We've come a long way in those in those twenty years, twenty plus years. Uh, what's the journey been like for you? Uh, for me, it's been uh, so exciting because I think on uh, specifically on uh, the tump type one side within pumps, mm -hmm. there's been a lot of uh, pretty incredible improvements. Uh, when you look at just some of the the regulatory, technological, and uh, and somewhat market changes that have happened with closed loop pumping, it's very exciting. Uh, however, I, I don't think there's been uh, the same level of innovation and change. Uh, within uh, the type 2 MDI space. And that's why I'm so excited for, for the work uh, going on here at Bigfoot and, and along with others. That's great. Well, let's talk about your, your move to Bigfoot. You joined uh, in uh, in 2021. What was the opportunity or the, the uh, I think we're getting into that, but what was it that drew you to, to join the company? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, so I've been able to, to work with uh, alongside Bigfoot for quite some time now. Uh, so originally, the founder of Bigfoot, uh, Jeffrey Brewer, really got uh, started in the space uh, as a father of a type one. Mm -hmm. And uh, prior to Bigfoot, uh, he was the CEO at JDRF. And he was actually the one while I was at Johnson & Johnson. And while Ian Hansen, my colleague here, who's our chief operating officer, was leading uh, the pump division at Medtronic, Jeffrey was uh, on uh, the nonprofit side helping raise funds to really support closed loop development as we had multiple challenges in enabling this program internally in those organizations. Uh, so he was on the other side of the fence, uh, bringing funding our way. And, and that's when he connected with Brian Maslish, uh, who also a uh, father of a type one, started uh, really the DIY 
uh, movement within pumps and was the first uh, to bring together, hack together the Medtronic and Dexcom systems mm-hmm. uh, to, to offer that to his, uh, his family. So that's actually where Bigfoot gets its origins where uh, Wired Magazine uh, did an article around Brian, where they were looking for the, this individual, this team who, who first hacked together these systems. And as they were hunting around downtown Manhattan, they said it was as hard as trying to find Bigfoot. So hmm. uh, at the time, Jeffrey and Brian and John, who's uh, uh, the third in that trio, uh, renamed the company Bigfoot. And I've been following them uh, ever since. So obviously, uh, having uh, led the development efforts uh, around closed with pumps and pens and combination products at both Eli Lilly uh, and Novo Nordisk. Uh, between those roles, I was able to come out and support the team here as uh, they were really uh, resetting some of their strategy um, as they developed a, a phenomenal solution within closed with pumps, uh, but then really pivoted the organization uh, to focus on really what we believe to be well, the greatest unmet need. Uh, in the space today, uh, which is really supporting the the rather large uh, multiple daily injection population that's still struggling uh, with adherence and really struggling with glycemic control. Mm. And, and that was really then a few years back where they then continued to develop uh, Unity and uh, certainly stayed in touch with the team here. But as, uh, as they further developed that product, they took some very novel approaches uh, that were much more geared towards the needs of the type two market than others in the space were taking. So between that and uh, really what they've been able to do on the data architecture side of that with the the quantum of data that's somewhat unparalleled uh, that we have coming in through our systems here at Bigfoot, uh, I, I typically throughout my career just uh, try to follow the opportunities where I can do the most good. And to me, it was no question in my mind that the opportunity here at Bigfoot uh, could have uh, the opportunity to impact uh, the greatest unmet needs out there in the market. Well, that's great. Let's talk. Let's talk a bit about type two and and the difference between type one. We I do often just kind of lump diabetes into one group, and there are two two distinct and classified groups of of folks. What what are the challenges of folks with type two diabetes? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, the burden's rather significant, and you know, I think the the great thing is there have been phenomenal insulins developed where essentially uh, the insulins work for people with type 2 diabetes who progress to insulin if they take it. Uh, However, uh, a large portion of the population doesn't have the tools uh, that they need to really achieve that level of adherence, or they're also not being prescribed uh, therapeutic doses. So I think a great example of kind of the target population that uh, Bigfoot Unity uh, focuses on is uh, my uncle. Uh, uh, Joe Clementi. Um, he's been on multiple daily injections for uh, well over a decade uh, now. He's actually even been uh, utilizing a continuous glucose monitor for probably over two years now. But those are fixed dose injections. He's not even prescribed a correction factor based on that glucose value. So while uh, he's, he's getting the benefit of the monitoring of a continuous glucose monitor, he's not getting the therapeutic benefit of it. And mm. I think uh, this isn't a corner case within type 2 diabetes, specifically with the population uh, that we're focused on where our average age is over 60. Although we serve type 1 and type 2 patients, roughly 85% of our population is type 2. And, and there's somewhat of a, of a dichotomy in the, the treatment of uh, these type 2 patients where the clinical inertia by providers and somewhat insulin emission, those on therapy, just results in poor glycemic control. And a lot of this is you know, somewhat to, to manage the risks that exist. Uh, so, so providers are somewhat reluctant to 
intensify insulin therapy because of uh, the risk of hypoglycemia, as well as, you know, as there's often patient resistance, where sometimes the escalation of therapy could be seen as a failure. And, and they don't have the data of actual accurate dosing, um, where sometimes the the information is either lacking or the discussions between the doctor and the patient don't necessarily reflect you know, the true dosing habits. So there's a fear of intensifying therapy, probably at the most appropriate time, or intensifying to the most efficacious dose because of the risk of hypoglycemia. I think on, on the patient side, we see that it's quite regular for people to forget take doses. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, this isn't because <laughs> these patients... Uh, uh, these people with diabetes um, don't want better control. They don't want improved uh, health outcomes. It's because they haven't been given the appropriate tools uh, to manage what is a really burdensome uh, disease state and and also uh, burdensome uh, solutions in, in uh, managing that. So I think right now, uh, you know, the existing approaches really focus more on uh, data, uh, not really therapy adherence and tangible outcomes, where you have a lot of disconnected glucose data sources. Most of the insulin dosing instructions come to patients usually on paper, and, and there's really not smart solutions that are bringing that dosing data together with the glucose data, much less uh, the dosing data with the glucose data and the actual therapeutic interactions where you know a lot of patients change the insulin they're prescribed, they have constant changes to their settings. Um, so I think that's really problem space that Bigfoot Unity is uh, most addressed towards. And really these fragmented device and software solutions really aren't working in tangible ways. And hmm. I think that's really the uh, the focus of the Bigfoot Unity system is, is bringing in a holistic solution that connects the, the HCP, the healthcare provider, um, and the patient in a much more meaningful way and gives them a much more integrated, simple to use, robust tool set that can help them uh, together work to improve adherence and and overall uh, reduce uh, risk for hypoglycemia and uh, and support better control. Well, what are the challenges of, of engineering devices and solutions for the type 2 diabetes group? Because it seems like there's a lot of variation in, in, uh, in, in their in approaches and a lot of Sounds at least a lot of uncertainty, sort of on what's on what's the best way to to manage the disease. Is it uniquely challenging to be uh, designing something for the type two diabetes population? Uh, I, I wouldn't say uh, uniquely challenging because uh, it's something that uh, we actually are really passionate about and truly enjoy. Um, mm-hmm. But I think your whole point is spot on. Where um, you know uh, we can. Sometimes, you know, uh, on the engineering side, we can certainly nerd out and come up with some really cool technology. Um, none of that really matters unless we understand the problem that we're trying to solve. Right. And if you look at the needs of people with diabetes in a whole, and you really understand that problem space and you go dev- develop a solution for it, you know, you, you somewhat develop a solution uh, that's forced to your least common denominator which a lot of times isn't, you know, the, the patient um, that struggles the most in control, but it's actually the patient that needs the highest level of control, which sometimes comes down to type one patients. So, you know, your type one ultra marathoner as an example, um, mm-hmm. probably has some of the most unique challenges. Um, but if I were to design a system um, that meets that patient's needs, as well as right now we have patients that are 87 on the product, um, right? Those solutions would look very different because their needs are inherently very different. Hmm. Um, so, so that's where I think, you know, uh, uh, Bigfoot's, uh, uh, really focused on 
understanding uh, the unmet needs within uh, this particular uh, type two population and has really developed you know the the first system that's actually designed for these users and bring some of their needs uh, to the forefront of the trade-offs you're forced to make as you're architecting, especially very complex systems where you have a lot of interconnectivity. And, and I think that's really one of the differentiating factors of the Bigfoot Unity system. Interesting. So let's get a little more specific into into what it's comprised of. I see that you've got the the Freestyle Library two device in there. You've got I'm looking at your website. And you've got a, a a a kit, a kind of a box full of things. Can you walk me through the uh, the Bigfoot Unity Diabetes Management System? Absolutely. And, and I think that uh, your spot on looking at it is it's really around a, a solution um, mm-hmm. versus it's it's not a sensor, it's not a meter, it's not pen caps, it's not a software solution. Um, uh, but it, it's really uh, uh, first of its kind, a solution that brings together connected smart insulin pen caps um, uh, that deliver on-demand dose recommendations um, uh, integrated with a, a cloud-based platform that kind of seamlessly connects the data streaming from the caps, which are connected to both continuous glucose monitors as it's uh, uh, cleared uh, with integration with Abbott's Freestyle Libre 2 glucose sensor, mm-hmm. um, as well as uh, blood glucose data. And it gives all the patient not only all of uh, those components, but a lot of the disposables they need in, in really an ongoing uh, service model um, to then connect uh, patients to their clinicians in uh, real time um, and a much richer way to enable a proactive remote care. So a little bit just more about you know how the system uh, actually works. It, it actually uh, determines and displays the recommended insulin dose for users. So uh, we have uh, both a, a white cap uh, which works uh, for our uh, mealtime insulins, um, as well as a black cap, which is used uh, for our daily basal insulins. So uh, the multiple uh, daily injection uh, patients that we're serving here um, are on a, a mixed regimen of, uh, so for example, if I take my Uncle Joe again, uh, he takes uh, 10 units every mealtime, and then he takes 30 units of a long-acting uh, insulin before he goes to bed. So first on the long-acting cap, it, it reminds him of when he took his last dose, um, but more importantly, it gives him contextually sensitive reminders if he misses the dose. Um, so uh, if, if you're constantly just reminding the patient, hey, it's time to take your dose again, um, uh, you typically get into alarm fatigue. Uh, it's not really effective uh, to actually uh, shift uh, behavioral activity around adherence. Um, uh, However, with our system, where we get to bring the actual data around if a dose occurred, right, we only provide uh, that alert within our, our long-acting dose only if the patients missed it. And it's incredible because we see, you know, approximately 80% of patients responding um, to those alarms. And a lot of cases, those are doses that would have been missed that directly could impact um, a glycemic control. On our uh, white cap then, it's uh, much more integrated with uh, the glucose sensors because that glucose data can actually be leveraged in that dosing decision. Um, So it really puts right there at the pen, right, right there at the point of care, clear guidance to the patient as to what their doctor uh, would suggest them to take. Um, so it depends on the particular regimen that the doctors prescribe to them, but you can imagine it will give them guidance based on their doctor's recommendations as to whether what they should take if they've had a small or a medium or a large meal, or uh, it also allows them to then, without doing any mental math of their own, understand if a correction uh, dose or an amount of correction insulin 
is needed based on their current glucose levels. And mm -hmm. this is what I was referring to before, where a lot of patients with type 2 diabetes, because of this fear of hypoglycemia and uh, just lack of data transparency between patients and doctors, um, aren't even prescribed a correction dose. So uh, they may even be leveraging a continuous glucose monitor, but that data, that, that uh, delta in where their glucose is and what their ideal glucose should be, isn't being even factored into their actual dosing habits. And for a lot of our patients, um, you know, the, the mental burden of uh, trying to do that math would be challenging and maybe led to uh, some of the fear of uh, a doctor prescribing it in that way. And that's essentially what, what Bigfoot Unity simplifies and automates where it just brings all of that right to the, the point of uh, dosing for the patient. So they don't need to open up an app to get that recommendation um, because uh, for a lot of our patients uh, or the people with diabetes that we serve, uh, that would be uh, a really challenging ask and, and it would uh, continue uh, to not give them the tools that they need um, for improved adherence and, and control. And, and what does the better management ultimately mean for patients. Uh, I imagine they're feeling better immediately, but does it, I'm not sure it is, does an un, un, mismanaged type two, is it likely to become type one? Is it eventually going to become type one anyway, but this sort of delays that happening? What is, what is the, what is the, uh, the positive outcome of, of managing your type two diabetes? Yeah. So, uh, so very different uh, disease states in, in terms of uh, uh, where they really come from. Uh, so on the type one side, um, it's really an inability. So normally it's a, it's an early onset um, uh, in childhood, although there is later onset as well. Um, and mm -hmm. it's really um, uh, uh, the body loses the ability, uh, the pancreas loses the ability to create insulin. Um, so there uh, in type one, um, insulin is really required for sustaining life. Um, within type two, um, it's, uh, it's typically later in life. Um, and it's, it's really the insulin that your body creates becomes less and less effective at its job, which is really bringing glucose across cell walls. Um, so your body needs to create uh, more and more insulin to be effective. Um, and in turn, your body continues to become uh, less responsive to it. And you have elevated sugar levels over time. So, so uh, when I speak to hypoglycemia and hyperglycemia, uh, those are just words for um, high sugar levels and low sugar levels. Mm -hmm. And they have very different risks. Um, so hyperglycemia, um, high sugar levels, um, uh, can really lead uh, to um, rather significant long-term complications. So people uh, could be pre-diabetic or with thin diabetes for years. They could be running uh, really high in sugar levels. So a typical range of a sugar level is you know 100 to 180 uh, milligrams per deciliter. And, and some patients can be above 300. I've even seen patients above 500. And you will definitely feel it the way it, it, it builds up over time, though. A lot of people don't even notice it. And then they'll get on insulins, they'll get on therapy, and they will have an instantaneous uh, uh, you know, difference in how they feel, the energy levels they have, et cetera. But, but the greater risk of hyperglycemia is the long-term complications. You know, Essentially, mm -hmm. insulin's role is to shepherd glucose across cell walls. But the problem is when you have it built up in your tissues for long periods of time, a lot of the tissues um, uh, that aren't used to having uh, glucose uh, floating around them deteriorate over time. So uh, macro degeneration of the eyes, um, uh, 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 nerves, um, there's a lot of uh, rather significant uh, long-term complications of diabetes leading to things like 
diabetic ulcers, mm-hmm. uh, amputations, um, increased risk of cardiovascular disease. Um, so that's where, you know, really the goal is to intercept uh, the patient at the right point along that journey to improve the levels of control and sugar to, to bend that curve to avoid the rather um, devastating late stage complications of diabetes. On the flip side of that coin, hypoglycemia is then when your sugar levels are too low. And, and that's actually a much more acute severe risk for patient. And this is what leads to some of the fear, both on the patient and the HCP side, with being too intensive on uh, treating your highs because of the risk of low um, uh, can lead to someone passing out, to someone dying. Um, so this is where I remember my grandmother, um, you know, she would always carry little sugar tabs around her. Now the glucagon products and other pieces, mm-hmm. but, but that's where, you know, you're constantly, you know, when you look at the number of decisions uh, uh, a person with diabetes needs to make every day from exercise to what they're eating, to the dose they're taking, to the sugars they're checking, um, you know, it's just this constant burden of making sure that, you know, you're not flying too high and you're not flying too low, right? Sure. Absolutely. My final question, does uh, your family appreciate uh, your, your, your career path and, uh, and the insights you're bringing to, uh, I guess, to what, maybe whatever holiday table uh, you may be gathering around uh, regarding their, their diabetes? Yeah, uh, we've really been focused uh, uh, at Bigfoot on, um, you know, building out with our current clinicians to enable kind of this next level of scale. Um, but so for me and, and my uncle Joe, we always have a conversa- uh, conversation every time I see him where, um, you know, again, he, he actually uses uh, the app sensor today, uh, but he's he's really trying to get his hands on a Bigfoot system. And so uh, for me, it's just constant strife. as to well, great. When am I going to get access to it? And, and we're really excited, especially when we look at 2023 um, for opening up some of that broader distribution uh, to support uh, uh, folks like uh, like him. That's great. All right. Terrific. Well, I appreciate your, uh, your sharing your story, man, and, and for joining us on the podcast. No, Tom, thank you uh, so much for the time today. It's been a pleasure just following uh, some of your podcasts, especially uh, some of your recent ones uh, over some of the diabetes leaders. So really uh, appreciate everything you do in the space as well and, uh, and look forward uh, to what comes next. Great. That's super kind. Thank you. Let us move on to number four on the new markers newsmakers. All right. Well, number number four on the list, both you know GE Healthcare and and Philips just you know recently were uh, you know making some uh, you know big announcements around artificial intelligence and uh, imaging technology. We, they, there was actually the. Um, you know, Radiological Society of North America annual meeting this in Chicago this week. So like a lot of imaging news coming out. But I mean, that was like one of the big uh, themes, you know, they, uh, you know, G Healthcare, um, you know, was, uh, you know, talking about it's a Cigna experience. It's supposed to ensure the smooth, it said it was supposed to ensure the smoothest MRI scanning experience for physicians technologists and uh and you know patients you know so that was one of their their big things you know and this has like automated intelligent workflow technology so you know, just kind of trying to make just trying to take as many hiccups as you can out of the the whole yeah. experience of going through an mri um no, which, especially especially with the uh, workforce issues that are going on and, and and mri and ct scan centers being uh operating at less than capacity because they can't find workers it seems like technology can really help fill a gap there Thank you. I think it's a real opportunity for for medtech. I mean, like a lot of stuff in the past, we're like, oh, we have a nurse to do that. We have a, you know, we have a hospital staff to do that. Now it's like, you know, yeah, you know, if you can find some solution to automate this for us, um, 
you know, there, there seems to be a lot more openness for that. So it'll be really interesting. And, you know, and hopefully, hopefully as we ramp up healthcare in the developing world, but elsewhere in the world, this will help make healthcare more, more accessible to, to people. So that, that could be awesome. Um, but yeah. And the other thing was from, from Phillips was they were talking about their Phillips imaging orchestrator. Um, you know, the same kind of thing, like radiology operations command center, they're, you know, Philips ultrasound collaboration live, um, you know, trying to, you know, better using uh, AI enabled image interpretation technology, you know, to prioritize the patient work list. So some more, more AI fueled automation, how we, we go through all these like scanning processes. So, so yeah, just, just very cool. No, certainly very cool. Great work from Philips and GE Healthcare. And now let's roll on to number three on the new Marcus Newsmakers, Chris. Well, number three on the list, and you know, I mean, this is just fascinating because in another week, this might have been, this would easily been number one. Yeah, I actually was surprised it was number three. Right? I mean, it's just like there's so much stuff going on this week, um, and and this was big news. Um, Boston Scientific, uh, you know, agreeing to acquire, saying they will acquire a, a Apollo endosurgery for more than six hundred million dollars, um, and you know, the uh, the reactions from the uh, analysts. You know, on this, you know, seemed very, very positive. Um, you know that, uh, you know, like you know, Mike Matson and Edom Company saying like this acquisition is going to complement Boston Scientific's endoscopy uh, franchise. You know that leverages, you know, Boston Scientific's gastroenterological call point while you know offering this expansion potential into surgical endoscopy and bariatric surgery. Um, you know, like, uh, you know, truest analysts who are really uh, upbeat about this, you know, like, uh, and then Apollo Endosurgery's portfolio includes devices that are used in, like, endoluminal surgery procedures, um, you know, so, I mean, they're, they're closing gastrointestinal defects or they're, you know, managing complications or, you know, they're, you know, kind of, you know, like, basically, like, you know, folding the stomach and to kind of, like, shrink the stomach, you know, so that, you know, people, people lose weight i mean so i mean and and you know actually if you go to medical design outsourcing like uh our, our managing editor over there jim hamran he uh he interviewed a lot of top officials at at uh, apollo industry just a few months ago so he mm-hmm. ran out a story like kind of like diving deeper into this technology like why is this you know worth you know 600 million to, to boston scientific but um obesity growing problem you know, so people are looking for answers, and you know, Boston Scientific is going to get a lot more deeper into that that space now through this planned acquisition. No, that's a space where they're already strong, and, and this certainly makes them stronger. So, uh, yeah, great, great again to see. We talked last week about, I think it was last week, about the uh, price of of medical device companies. Once again, six hundred million alone. A few years ago, would have been a lot of money. Now it uh, seemed like a, a good price. Although I think I think at least one of the analysts thought it was a bit higher than they would have. Uh, would have uh, expected, but uh, you're right. They're all very positive about what it means for Boston Scientific's uh, bottom line going forward. So uh, exactly. I mean, sometimes yeah. you see an M and A deal, and the analysts are like, "Why are they doing that?" You yeah. know, and this is this is definitely one of these deals. Like, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. And yeah, and it was one of those things when you read it, you're like, "Yeah, that does make sense." Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why hasn't that already happened? So uh, good, good outcome, I think, for for Apollo. They've been plugging along for a long time. Yeah. And uh, Boston Scientific seems like the perfect home for it. So all right, well, cool. great item, Chris Newmarker. What is uh, what is number two on the new markers? Well, you know, number two on the list is that uh, you know Titan Medical has uh, started a strategic review that uh, may it could result in them selling the uh, selling the company to somebody. So so this kind of like you know little small smaller robotic you know surgery company. Um, yeah, they could get could get bought or there could be other you know options that they end up 
end up going with. And, you know, and I, I was posing this question on LinkedIn and got a lot of comments off of it, actually. Uh, but I mean, it seems like the big question is, I mean, will Medtronic buy them? Because they've had a longstanding relationship with Medtronic and, you know, Medtronic's, you know, licensed IP from them. So is Medtronic just going to, you know, I had, had one person comment on LinkedIn, like, like, why should it? I mean, of course, Medtronic should, you know, buy them because, you know, you want to like lock in your your IP around your own robotic surgery program. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Why wouldn't Medtronic at least explore it? I mean, they, they obviously found something valuable about technology, and if they don't buy it, then that value goes to somebody else. So it seems exactly. like it would be a good opportunity for a company like Medtronic that you would presume would have the means to do it to uh, solidify its position. And uh, you know, they're they're obviously building a franchise in robotics, uh, and this would be a, a piece of that. So. Yeah, and getting that story is getting a lot of attention. So, well, uh, yeah, it's the robotic surgery space just is getting more, you know, interesting all the time. And um, and talking about interesting, our number one item, um, th- this was really fascinating too. Um, you've got this uh, really fast-growing British surgical robotic company, a uh, CMR Surgical. Um, mm-hmm. Their their Versius robots aren't in the U.S. yet, but boy, they're uh, you know they just hit a hundred, you know. Versus systems, you know, installed across Europe, Asia, Australia, Latin America, and the Middle East, and then and guess what's happening now? What's happening, Chris Newmarker? Now we've got like J and J's Ethicon saying they're going to like partner with them to sell these robots. So, yep, you know they're going to they're going to start out focusing on select hospitals in Italy, France, Germany, and Brazil. Those are, those are pretty pretty big countries. Um, yeah, and they're you know so I mean it's, it's interesting too because I mean J and J has its own. You know, it has this Otava robot, you know, in the soft tissue surgery space it's been working on. But, you know, not not a lot from them recently about, you know, when, you know, um, you know, we're, when we're going to see more from that that uh, program. But, um, you know, they're they're working now with, you know, to you know sell these Versius robots along with, you know, all the, you know, Ethicon stuff that could go along with them, all the all those all those types of tools. We had Per Vergard Nurseth on, uh, well, we, a portion of the interview I did with him last year on the podcast uh, when we talked about CMR. Was it one or two episodes ago? And uh, yeah, he comes from the robotics industry. He clearly knows what he's doing with robotics. And it was interesting to see someone with that skill set and background come into into healthcare, into surgery, because you, you never know how uh, someone who's worked in other industries is going to fare in a heavily regulated industry like yeah. medical devices. But they're, they're getting traction uh, and they've got a, a, a very cool approach uh and you can listen to the podcast we'll put it in the show notes as to, to how uh how they're they're approaching uh, robotic surgery but uh once again i mean maybe this is what we've all been anticipating happening at some point we're going to see sort of a, a winnowing out of uh of these smaller players getting acquired by bigger players and really a solidification of uh of these larger players holding a bigger piece of the surgical robotics pie in the future maybe this is the beginning of that seems yeah. to be kind of seems that yeah tie medical going out for sale yeah i mean yep. J&J collaborating with CMR, I mean, you at least have to wonder, you know, where that's going to go eventually. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So, so here we go. Surgical robotics, man. It's where all the action seems to be, at least this week on the new Marcus Deuce. It's hot space. Very, I mean, it's still, yeah, if I was, I was, I predicted it at the beginning of the year that surgical robotics was going to be a hot space. And it sure, it sure has come through and I don't see it stopping in 2023. Absolutely not. 
And I continue to look as as we've been recording this, I've been looking at your uh, Neuralink post on LinkedIn. And every time I check back, you've got another uh, another like or uh, or reaction to it. So that, right. one's, uh, that, that one's popping as well. So yeah. lots of exciting stuff happening in our industry, Chris. This is pretty cool. Totally. I mean, so exciting. I mean, yeah, you know, I am starting to help to get the kids to bed. But, you know, I, I sit there and watch like Elon Musk talking about this, uh, you know, this uh, BCI because, you know, it's just an exciting space. And, I, you know, I want to get that extra mile and, you know, and report what's going on because it's just, it's exciting. I love it. Well, you talk to anybody who's moved into from one industry to this industry, and they and they immediately pick up on the uh, positive feelings of of being involved in, in a product that actually will help people and and will do some good, as opposed to just deliver uh, move a box in a warehouse more quickly, not to disparage those companies. But uh, we we're in a special spot, so I I don't mind saying that aloud once in a while. Yes, I I totally agree. As someone who um you know like ten years ago for a while was covering banking, you know, which um mm. yeah, I mean you know I mean and it's, <laughs> it feels not you can get a warm fuzzy feeling talking to a community banker who's like oh I lent lent this money to help get this going or whatever that that's nice, but I mean it's just a whole other level when you're you know talking to people like yeah this could this could potentially help people see again. I mean this could yep. this could potentially you know radically improve you know the life of somebody with a spinal injury for the better um i mean that's that's just that's just awesome and there's just so much potential you know right now in the industry i mean I, you know and if we can just keep on getting our healthcare system to to work better i mean we can hopefully get more of these technologies to people and you know it could could really um stuff that used to scare the dickens out of our parents and grandparents won't be won't be as bad for us or our children be awesome absolutely yeah, we're seeing that uh, in the two interviews we ran in this episode, just the, the 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 good that's being done for people with diabetes who have yeah. had to manage their their experiences largely alone for so long. They're really getting the support that they need to to uh, enable them to uh, to live their lives more fully. And we actually oh, another listener, Marie. She sent a message last week just uh, saying the first podcast she'd listened to was with Chasey Petrovic of Insulate, and now she's got an Omnipod and uh, she's uh, she's loving it. So uh, it's you're you're seeing this progress happen in real time. So that's uh, that's exciting. Oh, just the transformative nature of that. I mean, just the transformative nature of that. I mean, you know, I'm for, I'm forgetting like you know my car keys half the time. <laughs> I couldn't even imagine trying to remember when to take take my insulin. You know, if I you know so to have you know just to automate that process as much as possible. I mean that that's just gotta gotta help so much. You know, for you know people with that with that disease. Yep, and that's actually was the uh, the interview I did with Krista Sugarman at Medtronic. There, they have their blue balloon campaign, uh, which is basically encouraging people to go through their day while bouncing a balloon up and down, and it's just supposed to represent yeah, right? the the people with diabetes how they go through life with just this constant task before them of having to manage their their levels. So, uh, yeah. I think there is a deeper appreciation for for the impact that disease has, and and it's and it's uh, and it's great to see that again. We're repeating ourselves, but it's great to see industry step up. So, all right. Yeah. Great stuff, Chris Newmarker. So, come on. Keep on doing it. Keep on That's doing right. it, MedTech. Keep up, Let's do keep, it. Keep up the good work, MedTech folks, in all seriousness. It's, it's right. great to be uh, a watcher of this of this community. Yeah. We're, we're in an exciting space. It's, it's awesome. And now we'll play our interview with Medtronic's Krista Sugarman. She is Vice President of Global Marketing and Communication at Medtronic's Diabetes Business. This is part of our Medtronic Talks podcast. If you're not already a subscriber, please go to any podcast player and you can subscribe to it there and have future episodes sent directly to you. 
can also listen to past episodes. We've been doing this for two years now. Or uh, if you insist on not subscribing, then uh, go to devicetalks.com. You can find it there or go to medtronic.com and you can find a whole page of Medtronic Talks podcast. Now we'll hear a message from the sponsor of that episode, BMP Medical. I am speaking with John Faulkner. John is Vice President of Sales and Marketing at BMP. John, tell us about BMP. So BMP was founded in 1978. We were formerly known as Biomedical Polymers, and we're an OEM contract manufacturer that provides services to the medical device industry. We provide plastic consumables used in devices and diagnostic kits. We work with our customers from initial design, production, leveraging state-of-the-art injection molding and injection blow molding capabilities to produce an array of components and medical devices. We can offer consultation, mold development, drawing, R&D, tooling, process automation, statistical process control for all of our products. Our facility is equipped with a Class 8 clean room. We have a Class 7 packaging unit, and we have a white room for assembly and packaging as well. We'll hear more from John a little later in the podcast. If you want to find out more about BMP Medical now, go to bmpmedical.com. Well, Krista Sugarman, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me, especially during such an important uh, month. Talk about Diabetes Awareness Month. Glad to be here. We're going to dive deep into uh, into the month and into diabetes uh, and understand it a bit more. But we always love to start these podcasts, learning a little bit about our guests and finding out how they found their way to where they are. So what was your first job in MedTech? First job in MedTech was an inside sales job straight out of school. I moved, I went to Indiana, moved to California, having never been here, and uh, wow. inside sales and medical. But it was a, a great start where I was able to meet with um, physicians over the phone. And that was my introduction into MedTech. So it's a company called B. Braun McGall back at the time. Oh, sure. Yeah. Remember that well. So what was it about the, uh, was this a, a career that you're looking for? Or was it just a cool job that you heard about? What, what drew you into the MedTech industry? Well, I, I, you probably hear this a lot, but at first I, uh, I, I thought that I wanted to go into, uh, to be a physician and, uh, <laughs> and be a doctor, but that didn't, uh, you know, as I started to, I actually had a family member who was in medical sales and so did a field ride with them. And from then I said, this is great. I get to still have an impact. That was really the biggest change for me is when I saw, and we went into physician offices, we met with patients and being able to see that firsthand. I knew, I knew right away it's what I wanted to do, but I had to earn my way there through uh, inside sales starting with. Was it organic chemistry? Did that uh, did that do you? No, that was uh, that was definitely <laughs> it. So it, um, you know, it seems to take out a lot of organic chemistry. That seems to take out a lot of people. So, uh, or or yeah. I should say, that seems to send a lot of great people to the medical device industry. So uh, yes, sales was an easier path. We'll say that. Yeah. Way to go, organic chemistry. So <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about the space you're in now. How long have you been? Uh, you you worked at J and J. You were at Novacept. When you arrived at Medtronic, is that when you started to focus uh, on the diabetes space or had you been doing that previously? Yeah. So I've been with Medtronic now for going on 20 years. Um, so really fortunate to work for such a mission-driven company and an industry, like I said, where I get to improve quality of life. So it's very rewarding. Most of my career has been focused on marketing and sales. What I love about that is I've met with thousands of customers from all around the world, with patients and providers, and really get an understanding of what are their biggest challenges and how can we help solve them. So that's what I enjoy. I started with Pelvic Health uh, many years ago as a sales rep. Um, I was working there to educate and grow awareness of therapy options for bladder and bowel conditions. Uh, I loved pelvic health, but I really had a turning point in my career uh, back in 2015 when my best friend's son was diagnosed with type 1 uh, diabetes. 
I'll share just a little bit of that experience because it's really kind of brought me to where I am. And I very vividly remember watching the concern in my friend's voice. It was her family needed to quickly learn and adapt to care for their uh, newly diagnosed son. Uh, Almost overnight, they had to start constantly checking blood sugars. They had to learn to carb count. Uh, give shots before every meal. And it was just the nonstop worry that I learned a lot from watching them. And her son quickly went on a Medtronic insulin pump. And I I remember and still do have feeling such a, a sense of pride knowing that the company that I work for was saving her son's life. And that's that's what she told me. Um, and, you know, so I still get to learn from their experience and that helps us continue to get better. But that's what inspired me at the time I was at Pelvic Health, but inspired me to move over to our diabetes business and continue to push for advancements in the diabetes space. And so now I'm happy to lead our global marketing and communications team. And I'm responsible for the customer experience and making sure that our portfolio is meeting the needs of people living with and, and also caring for diabetes, just like my friend and, and her son. So that's what brought me here. We'll talk about the macro impact of, of diabetes in a moment, but I'd like to focus not necessarily on your friend and, and her son, but just on the personal impact that diabetes had. I mean, I've got children when they were younger, one of them had a food allergy. So it was that was something that you had to manage every day. And that fortunately was not a, a life or death sort of situation. It was, it was, it was less severe than that. I, the moment you share the story about your friend's son, I immediately put myself in that place. And I can't imagine having to suddenly be juggling this life or death challenge with your son and having to sort of manage them as well with with shots and, and whatnot. Talk a bit about, if you would, sort of the personal impact of, of diabetes on families like this and, and what, the, what the daily impact is like. You've got the Blue Balloon Challenge uh, logo behind you. I've seen videos of that on LinkedIn. But what does getting that diagnosis mean for a mother and for a son and for a family? It's a great question, one that we have to think about on a daily basis. And- We're going to take a quick break from this conversation and bring back John Faulkner. He's Vice President of Sales and Marketing at BMP Medical. John, tell me, what type of medical device companies does BMP Medical work with and what services do you provide? We're, we're very proud of our hum, uh, and humbled with our 45 years of experience in helping customers bridge their capability gaps and get products to market quickly. We partner with OEMs, design development firms, growth startups, universities, just to name a few, to develop high-quality devices and components to enhance patient care. At BMP, we offer Class A clean room, plastic injection molding. We also do injection blow molding. We do product design and development, clean room assembly and packaging. We also do Class 7 assembly as well. Whether the customer has a new concept, an approved design, or design transfer. We work to provide the best solution we can. We're ISO 1345 certified, as well as FDA 21 CFR 820 approved. And John, I understand that BMP Medical makes devices of its own. Can you tell us a bit about that? Currently, the business is is set up in two areas. So BMP Medical, formerly known as Biomedical Polymers, we have our own line of products. So we've made these products for for a number of years. And then the other half of the business is the contract manufacturing. So we provide components that range from IV sets to rapid point of care testing, clinical diagnostics, research tools, general lab consumables. Um, These components are used both in sample prep, rapid detection, and have been a staple for us for over, over 40 years. And finally, John, what does the future hold for BMP? BMP has been always investing our capital into back into the business. 
In this last year, we purchased a few new machines. We put in four 80,000 pound silos here at the plant. And that's all to help with supply chain management issues that we're all experiencing in the industry right now. One of the things that we've really invested deeply in is, is our robotics end of arm tools for all of our, our molds and vision systems. And you know, for us, if we're going to be helping manufacture high-end medical devices, lowering our cost and having great quality are two things that are going to really impact a customer's decision to go with us. And, and those are the things that we want to focus on moving forward and, and trying to help our customers with. Well, thank you very much, John Faulkner of BMP Medical for joining us on this episode and for sharing your insights. And thanks, of course, to BMP Medical for sponsoring this episode of Medtronic Talks. If you'd like to find out more information about the company, go to bmpmedical.com. That's bmpmedical.com. But what does getting that diagnosis mean for a mother and for a son and for a family? It's a great question, one that we have to think about on a daily basis. And the reason I think it's important is because I don't have type 1 diabetes, but we need to surround ourselves with people who are very close to it so we can really understand what it's like. And the biggest thing that we constantly hear is it's always having to be on, always having to think about how many carbs am I eating? What am I going to go high or low? How am I, and as you said, in the case of a, a parent, you know, staying up at night. That was my friend's concern at the, when her son was diagnosed, they were staying up all night. They still, um, they sleep through the night better with, with therapies, but she says they still, it's a peace of mind that they you know, want to, and that's what we want to help them give them that peace of mind. But it's the always on mentality of needing to um, check your own blood sugars, take care of your children when they go to sleepovers. That's another um, mm-hmm. thing that is is really, I know my friends struggled with that, as do many parents, just wanting to make sure that they can constantly ensure that they're providing um, as much support as possible, like I said, through the carb counting, through the always on, always having to make sure that they're eating the right things. All of that really plays into the always on mentality. I can relate to that as well. Having a one of my son's friends would come over for sleepovers and you get handed the EpiPen and you're like, okay. <laughs> it's like it's a lot. It's yeah. a lot. And that's um, you know, I don't know if you know now's a good time to talk about the blue balloon campaign, but that's why Let's we do came it. up with yeah. okay, yeah. Because yeah. that's I think it's a good we want to make sure that we're again really representing as much as we can what it's like to to live with diabetes. And so we came up with the blue balloon campaign to drive awareness through the metaphor that diabetes is a constant balancing act, um, managing time and range in addition to everything else um, that life throws your way. So the Blue Balloon Challenge asks people to bounce a balloon in the air while doing their everyday activities to show how difficult it can be. And we've seen some really creative posts from employees as um, as well as the diabetes community. Uh, I did my challenge as well. For mine, I I did the Blue Balloon Challenge while at a diabetes conference. I was, it was early in the morning. I was, I was on the treadmill. I was in heels and balancing that balloon, really just trying to, it wasn't easy, but hopefully proving the point of what living with diabetes is really like in that constant balancing act. So we've had a great response uh, and it forces us at Medtronic to take a pause and just reflect on the really important role that we play um, trying to help people living with diabetes keep that balloon in the air. So we're excited. Absolutely. You referenced earlier, November is Diabetes Awareness Month. Diabetes World Diabetes Day is November 14th. Let's go through some of the stats you, you folks had shared that one in 10 adults were living with diabetes in 2021, but a recent publication in Lancet 
projected that it could be more than double the number of people living with diabetes by 2040, with the largest relative increase happening in low, lower income and lower middle income countries. So talk about the community, the number of people who are impacted by it, and that really frightening potential for growth. Where are we sort of in the growth of, of the diabetes space? It sounds like it's, it's in terms of its prevalence, it's going to get worse and not better anytime soon. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it's a fast growing problem and it's especially over the last 15 years, but it's not anticipated uh, to slow down anytime soon, unfortunately. You know, one in 10 adults, as you mentioned, uh, in the U.S. are currently living with diabetes. And as you mentioned, that number is expected to, to double uh, over the next 15 years. What's scary is that it's growing at an even faster rate for children. Um, so that's with Diabetes Awareness Month and then with World Diabetes Day on November 14th, we're really wanting to spread awareness um, as well as what signs to look for and, and to make sure that treatment options and support are well known um, as much as we possibly can. How do you engage with the diabetes community? We've talked to a number of people for this podcast and some other podcasts uh, about products in the, in the diabetes space. I mean, speak, if you would, just generally about the community for diabetes. I think it's a very unique group. I think folks are have to be more engaged with their devices and with their treatment than any other condition. What is it like to work in this space? And, and how does that contrast with some other industries or some other uh, specialties or sectors where you've worked within medtech? Yeah, the diabetes community is a very closely knit community. And, and it's out of all of the businesses that we have at Medtronic, it's the community that engages the most with their peers and are making decisions more uh, through online and uh, in some of the social groups. So I think I read a stat that um, nearly half are going to seek decisions based on what they've heard from their online communities. Wow. And they're, and they're, they're going to Google search, they're going to you know, their Facebooks and really learning from what a lot of their peers um, are doing as a source of information, more so than any of our other businesses. So we really have to be making sure that we're also in the spaces to be able to educate. So we're, we're very active and have um, a social media team that can make sure that we're getting our message across directly um, as much as we possibly can. The Blue Balloon campaign is more to spread awareness, um, but we also use all of our channel approaches through social media, through a lot of the the JDRF partnerships and organizations with other groups like that um, to make sure that treatment options um, are, are well known um, and that there's education on solutions to, to really help. And our goal is to make living with diabetes easier. Um, mm -hmm. As we know, there's not a, there's no cure. Uh, so we just, um, our goal is to make living with diabetes easier and we're making sure to, to use social communities to be able to, to get the word out. So social media is certainly powerful, but what about, let's talk about the devices and the, and the management of the disease. I think diabetes space has, and folks with diabetes have benefited from wider adoption of smartphones, from medical devices incorporating data into, into their devices. How is Medtronic bringing those technologies online to help people manage their condition? Yeah. Um, so what you're going to hear out from us is, as well as making it easier to live with diabetes, our big focus is on what we're calling intelligent dosing. To make all the experience easier through apps and, and smart devices. So I'll give you an example with our smart uh, MDI new product focus. Uh, you may have heard we acquired NPEN a few years ago, mm -hmm. had a solution for people on multiple daily injections that might not be ready or might not want to pump. So the NPEN system combines smart pen technology and an app to track how much insulin someone's taking. It can give personalized recommendations and really can help digitize their diabetes management to take away some of that mental burden and that mental math. And instead of having to do manual dose logging, 
This really helps track that for them through through their app. So that's um, that's one example. And then, as you mentioned, the community we're partnering. And hopefully, you've seen but we're partnering with Jennifer Stone, um, who is an actress and nurse here in LA, to really spread awareness on options and and her experience on NPEN specifically. So um, that's one way that we're we're really trying to spread awareness. But for those that prefer an insulin pump, we also we want to automate the delivery of insulin so that they can spend less time thinking about their diabetes, uh, more time living life. We just launched uh, My Insights, which we're very excited about for hmm. our for our insulin pump users, and that's where we're combining our data and AI capabilities in a program for the first time. So we're really excited. It's a unique program that leverages device data to deliver a monthly report to our users with personalized and key insights that help them adjust their behaviors. It gives them tips. And what's great about it is it also provides motivation along the way through badges and, and different accomplishments so that they can feel good about the, you know, even some of the small wins, just some acknowledgement for the work that they're putting in to manage their diabetes. And maybe one, uh, one example, a customer that's been on our insulin pump for over 20 years uh, shared, he just started with my insights. Um, he shared the monthly summary. He shared with me the, the screenshot of his progress. Um, and what he learned was that he was missing some of his meal boluses at dinner. Um, hmm. So my insights helped him take some action. So we're, we're really trying to leverage to, to your question, our, our, a lot of the data and AI that we have to provide meaningful support to take away the mental burden uh, for people living with diabetes. That's great. So the, the data is not just going into a, a black box of some kind for the physician. It's actually going to the hands of the people who can adjust or, or react to it immediately. That's exactly right. So, and it's the first time that we've really had a big program like this, but more to come. We know that we want to become, our, our new president's goal is to become you know, the apple of the diabetes space through our unique data science capabilities. Medtronic extended infusion set. This is another another thing that I'm privileged and blessed to not be managing my own diabetes or someone else who has diabetes. So I'm not aware of, of even the impact that the infusion set can have and, and how often that needs to be changed and, and, and tended to. Talk a bit about what the infusion set does and what does the Medtronic extended infusion set mean for patients? So this is an area that you know, I'll just start with that hasn't really seen any meaningful innovation uh, over the last 20 years. It doesn't get talked or thought about much because there hasn't been a lot of innovation in this space. Um, sure. So people think it's just, it's got to be changed every two to three days. Um, and that's what people you know, on living with diabetes, people on pump therapy are used to doing. So every two to three days, they've got to change uh, their infusion set, which is really just one more thing for them to think about. So our, we've got some brilliant scientists who've been working on this for the better part of those 20 years. And we're going to be launching, we've launched in Europe, going to be launching here in the US in November, um, the first set that will last up to seven days. And our goal and what some of the feedback from our ambassadors is that it's great to be able to change everything at one time. So they can change their sensor on a Sunday. They can plan it and coordinate to also change their infusion set on a Sunday. And that's something that they've just never been able to do. But it's really driving. We had some market research done beforehand that really showed that that's a reason people will choose um, sure. and or stay uh, with Medtronic if we can um, just make daily life easier um, and extend that up to seven days. So that improves the overall experience. And we're excited to launch it here uh, during Diabetes Awareness Month. Sure. No, I would think that that would be a huge reason for them to to join or to stay with with the brand. Could you just tell me what what goes into changing a set? Is it is it yeah. inserting a new 
tube into your wherever it's what it, what goes into it rather than my guessing <laughs> yeah and i'll tell you what's changed with the set as well um but so you know for those who aren't as familiar with the diabetes space uh, the infusion set is what delivers the insulin uh, from the pump and so it's it's another insertion site that people that were on a, on a pump will have to find a new space to be able to insert their uh, it's another injection that they've got to give another poke so um, what we had to change was pretty much everything about the set. So we have new tubing, we've got a new filter, protects the preservatives um, of the insulin. And we also have a new adhesive that allows it to stay longer without irritating the skin and causing more irritation there. And then also another great advantage of the set um, is it comes with our Mio Advance uh, one press sorter, which just allows for a more consistent and stable um, insertion process. So all that combined, uh, we're, we're seeing great results so far. And like I said, can't wait to make it more broadly available for, for people in the U.S. So currently prior to this advance, I mean, it, changing a set would require you to remove a tube from an insertion site and to place a new one in the insert. I mean, just I'm just trying to put myself having to do that every couple of days. That yeah. just adds to the, the onerous quality of the disease. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. And it's something else that they have to think about every two to three days um, on average. So if we can give them that much more time and they can do it at the same time that as sensors now up to seven days on sensor, they can do it all at one time. It's just one last thing that they've got to think about. Yeah. I just took a business trip last week and now I'm thinking, all right, you'd probably have to pack one or two of those depending upon how long you're gone for. And amazing. Well, looking forward, I understand there's been some data collected sort of that has compared the automated insulin pump from Medtronic versus the way that insulin had been injected previously and sort of compared and contrast the, the benefits or, or the impact of an automated insulin system. Talk a bit about the, the Lancet study and uh, where are we headed from here? Yeah. So I know I've talked a lot about wanting to make it easier through our therapies, but we also want to prove that our therapies work and work really well. And there are a lot of options out there. So in September this year, our ADAPT study was published in the Lancet and results, it was meaningful as it was the first of its kind, a randomized control study. And it compared outcomes for those on traditional multiple daily injections and those who are intermittently scanned CGM uh, to those of our next generation uh, insulin pump. Uh, and this was just published in the Lancet. It was presented at uh, ATDD and ADA uh, last year and really encouraging results that could support the use of insulin pump therapy at earlier stages in the treatment pathway. That's really what we're, uh, as we talk about spreading awareness, we also want to share awareness that there's a misconception around patients that need to meet a certain profile sometimes before being prescribed a pump or they've got to earn a pump. So our goal with this study uh, is to really show that more patients could potentially benefit earlier on from automated insulin delivery. You know, maybe the last thing I'll share on that is that there's still a number of uh, individuals using an insulin pump worldwide. The penetration rate is still really low uh, when you look at the potential of people that could benefit. Um, so it's studies like this in Lancet, but I think you're going to hear more and more about, yes, the benefits of continuous glucose monitoring, which should be, we think, the standard of care, but also helping to automate those decisions. So a lot more to come in that area. What is the, the hurdle that you have to clear or, or the, the resistance that you need to sort of explain away to have folks switch over to an insulin pump? Is there a concern? Uh, is there something they're just wary of? What is the, the biggest thing keeping that adoption from, from really growing? Yeah, um, it used to be more some on the reimbursement side and just challenges okay. sure. um, with, with some of the payers. But as that's gotten easier, I think now um, it's education on how pump therapy has gotten easier over time. And 
you know, some in the past have said, hey, you've got to have an A1C of X before you can really get a pump. But that kind of takes away the point of what automated insulin delivery is for, which is to help people that are that are struggling and may need and need additional support. So that's one of the misconceptions previously is you had to be a great carb counter or you had to you know really earn a pump through um, through an A1C that's at a certain level. And it's studies like this um, that will really show that the benefits of automation. Um, and that's when you ask where we're going. I think that's that's what we're confident and what we're excited about the future of diabetes is how do we automate more so that people can think about their management of diabetes less and less. And that's where uh, we think the world's going. Fantastic. All right. Well, it's an important stuff. Glad to see you're making progress. And thank you for joining us in the podcast. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Well, Chris Newmarker. It is a wrap. It's time to tell folks how they can find us on social media. Where are you, my bud? Well, you can find me on LinkedIn, where I uh, currently have 4,996 connections. So come on, connect with me. I want to get over 5,000. You could help put Chris Newmarker over the top. He is he's a fun guy to follow. You'll get all the latest from Mass yes. Device. So, uh, and absolutely. actually, including his, uh, his thoughts and comments on each piece. So, uh, absolutely. Please connect with Chris Newmarker on LinkedIn. I am on LinkedIn, uh, Tom S A L E M I at Device Talks. I'm also on Twitter, um, but I'm at MedTech Tom there. And you're at Newmarker on Twitter. I'm at Newmarker. So, yep. We'll see where that goes, but uh, we will see where that goes. Yeah, <laughs> don't forget we've got Device Talks Boston happening May tenth and eleventh. We'll open for registration next month in, in January. Uh, we'll have a yeah. pretty full agenda up by then. Working with a lot of great companies to put some conversations together. So uh, keep an eye on that. We'll have a couple of more Device Talks Tuesdays happening. Not next week. Well, it might be next week as when you're listening to this. So the week of the twelfth, we'll actually have two Device Talks Tuesdays. So. TWO days. Yeah. Tuesday versus two. You're doing a BOGO? <laughs> I don't know what a BOGO it's is. A, you don't know what a BOGO it's a is? BOGO. Buy one, get one. Oh, I've, well, I know what that is, but I've never called it a BOGO. I've never had to abbreviate that. A... Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm learning so much from you, Chris Newmarker. You can make donuts at home and you can do a BOGO. <laughs> yes. And, but in this case, you don't have to bow. Even bow to go because they're free. Just go. You just read it. You just right. go. It's, it's a go go. Yeah. It's a go go. Love it. <laughs> you can register for one or both, and the price is absolutely the same. <laughs> Nothing. Just an hour of your time, and you'll walk away all the wiser. So uh, check out devicetalks.com for. Uh, just to clarify with everybody, we're both just drinking coffee. Yes. That's, all, that's all we just have any right now. We're, 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 the only thing that's intoxicating <laughs> us is each other's presence. We're just uplifted every Thursday when we record these messages. Exactly. And finally, Chris Newmarker, what do we want folks to do with this podcast? You got to like, follow, subscribe. That's absolutely right. Like, follow, and or subscribe. So you'll receive the Device Talks Weekly Podcast, the Striker Talks Podcast, the Intuitive Talks Podcast. Podcast, and we hope some podcasts, uh, a new podcast coming to you in 2023. We're working on it. We're working on it. I know I've been talking yeah, about that for a while. So it's a, it's a smorgasbord of like wonderful medtech content. Exactly. Exactly. Writing. All right. Yes. Well, that is a wrap. All right, Chris man. Newmarker, thanks for uh, thanks for being part of this. Thanks to everyone who's uh, who's listening. And uh, yeah, tune in next week. We'll have another Device Talks weekly podcast waiting for you. Hey, take care, everybody. Enjoy the winter weather. Yeah.